Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest edition of the Games About Glory Summer Pod Specials, which eagle-eyed listeners, uh, I know you don't see with your ears, but this is about titles and all that, eagle-eyed listeners will have spotted in the descriptions for the show that we are now episode three of our second season. Whee! Round of applause, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, my name is Stefan, and with me tonight are Ram, Awesome, and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hello, Steph. Hiya. Good. Before we get going, we'd like to thank Barbara Blunker for their lovely review on iTunes. As a way of saying thank you, we're going to send Milo around to put your books in alphabetical order. Uh, Milo is also happy to organise album collections and make sure any outstanding paperwork is taken care of. So if you feel like availing yourself of such an offer, please don't forget to keep their reviews coming and you too could get a visit. Right. <laughs> Before it sounded more threatening than it went to. Well, depending on the state of your album collection, it might very well be threatening because once you get to them, you give them a right telling off, right? You don't want you don't want your squeeze before your status quo, and you probably don't want uh, status. Well, I don't know. That collection wouldn't make sense anyway, would it? <laughs> anyway, anyway, very good. The specials. You don't want your spe- before we get into our main subject for tonight, which actually is uh, you know it's going to be about football. Ball, don't worry um we do actually have a game to talk about a tottenham hotspur football club match because we had our first pre-season game of the season on saturday afternoon where we drew with late norian 1-1 at their place now just you know before we get into it let's just make it clear this was a pre-season friendly wasn't a champions league tie it wasn't you know a six-pointer going for champions league positions it was the first friendly of the season and as such we lined up in a 4-3-3 with a lot of academy players uh featuring the likes of dane scarlett Niall John, and I'm going to butcher some names here, I'm sure. So, Milo, help me out. Pascozzi. Yeah. That's right. Um, and uh, and <laughs> So, uh, Pascozzi was playing out of position at uh, right back. He's normally a centre-back. Is it Cisse? I must admit, I didn't know anything about him until the weekend. Brilliant initials. KXT Cisse. <laughs> that is a name. It is. It is. <laughs> and only a handful of first-teamers involved. You know, Bergwin, Ali, um, Winks, uh, Lucas, and, and Hart. Um, on Dyer. Joe. D- Denny was playing deeper, wasn't he, than, uh, than he has normally. So he was playing on the, on the left of the midfield three. Although I think it, it looked, <laughs> formation wise, I think it's a bit tricky because, say, it looked like four, uh, four, two, three, one in, on, on occasions. It was, it was, um, quite fluid again. Uh, I think Milo, you probably put the most time into watching this. So we'll come to you last. Uh, Ram. <laughs> Rem, <laughs> awesome. Uh, you want to join me in the five-minute highlight club? Because I certainly only watched five minutes. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on the highlights you did see, guys? I'll go first. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, like I said, I only, uh, as you mentioned, I only watched um, the kind of highlights of the game. But from what I saw, I would say uh, the player that stood out for me most, because we kind of already knew a bit about Dane Scarlett. So, um, uh, Niall John, for me, kind of stood out just in the highlights I saw. He seemed mm. quite... Uh, you know, quite active, um, put him, uh, the standard football cliche, put himself about, but you know, he was, he was kind of, he seemed quite involved with what was going on and seemed quite fearless as well, which is great seeing young players, mm-hmm. that fearlessness. In terms of kind of the, the, the more established players, I thought Lucas looked good. I thought he, he again looked quite sharp considering it's pre-season. I didn't see enough of Delhi to kind of have an informed opinion about him. In terms of the performance, um, I think it was just your kind of standard pre-season fair, wasn't it? I, you know, 
it's, you, I, can't, I wasn't expecting anything other than a good run out for our players and the players that played had a good run out. Yeah. I did mention before the uh, before the pod started that just based on that one ball Winks um, delivered to, I think it was Niall John <laughs> in the beginning, um, slap a five-year contract on the table for him. There you go, my son. Yeah, look, I need, the only thing really to add to that is I thought Mora's assist for Scarlett was absolutely sublime. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was put on a plate for him, but it was still well taken by Scarlett. Yeah, good run out for them in the sun, you know, quite high temperature it looked like, you know, good for fitness. Before uh, bring Milo in for the full, for the full Monty here, uh, we're really setting you up, by the way, Milo. I hope you understand that you're going to have to mm. deliver to a high standard at this point. We'll expect <laughs> nothing less than Sunday Times level uh, intellectualization of this uh, fitness friendly. Uh, I will say that I thought the Scarlet's, Scarlet's finish was, was, was brilliant because he took it first time yeah. and he just looked... Mm. It's just business. He just looks like it's all business for him. He's not mm. he's not over celebrating, he's not doing anything. Yep. So an incredibly energetic. Even in the second half I saw that he was closing some people down. Mm. I did notice that Parrot's I mean I don't want to blame anyone for anything, but Parrot's touch, which led did lead to Orient's goal. It was a loose touch, and I don't think you're gonna get away with too much of that under Nuno. Um and I can only applaud what everyone else said about Niall John. That touch that he took from uh, from Winx's pass and that touch and, and volley off the back. I mean, look, if that's what's in his locker, carumba. Mm. <laughs> right, I'm handing it over to you now, mate. <laughs> I, I'd agree with you about Scarlett. I, th- I thought he, he was left with a little bit to do with that pass. It was a great pass from Mora, but I thought he was left a little bit to do and um, showed a lot of inst- instinct there. It's, it's easy to forget that he's only 17 years old. So, um, I mean, just playing men's football at that age is impressive and he looks a natural. I was wondering during the game as to whether, you know, it, it looks like he's uh, leapfrogged Parrot in the pecking order now parrots pecking that wasn't intentional i'm sorry about that and um, bloody hell so i mean i think it, uh, i think it'd be pretty clear that parrot will be heading out on loan again which is what he needs I, I remember reading that he's put quite a lot of work in this summer in to try and get himself fit so uh, there's been question marks about his attitude in the past so hopefully um, that's something he's looking to address and uh, he'll have a successful loan spell next season because he, he he was a bit unlucky last year in in his loans to so Millwall and, uh, and Ipswich. Yeah, wasn't. and I mean, and again, to, to come off the back of that, we should also add that, uh, once again, I don't think I don't think any of us would write any player off on a bad touch in a pre-season friendly, especially, especially mm. when that comment would be coming from someone like myself who saw five bloody minutes of the game. <laughs> I think I'd be well yeah. advised to recognise as another, you know, 85 minutes or 45 minutes for Troy mm. Parrott and I'm sure he hadn't plenty of really good touches so mm-hmm. yeah so um a couple of things to i think to mention around the like saturday's game there's a lot of first teamers who weren't involved evidently that's because the training sessions have been really intense so they've been focusing on fitness for the first couple of weeks of training and that's meant that some of them are absolutely knackered and you know weren't fit enough to play uh, i mean that's good you know hard hard work hard running heavy running in in pre-season pays dividends later on so that's a positive sign um, I think the other thing we probably need to say is that you know when there was some criticism online about uh, about the score and getting a draw against Orient, this was Orient's um, third preseason friendly, it was our first, so they're a little bit further down that um, line than us. And the previous week, I saw they drew nil nil with West Ham, so they've been playing decent opposition as well. So it's not you know it, it, <laughs> it, we effectively put out an under twenty three side with a handful of um, you know first teamers yeah. or fringe first teamers uh, in there. It's about getting fit, and you know the result doesn't really matter. And we, in terms of substitutions, everyone came off, so no no one played ninety minutes. Everyone came off. Everyone was subbed. So 
again with with lots of rotations like that and lots of changes you're gonna you're gonna disrupt the rhythm a bit and i mean I, i'm gonna steal someone's thunder the someone online said this <laughs> and it was a brilliant comment if you want to start judging seasons by pre-season friendlies tottenham hotspur five roma nil <laughs> yeah remember that we were yeah. going to win the what league, weren't we? Yeah. We were going to win the yeah. league. And if I remember correctly, we were bottom of the league <laughs> by the end of September. Mm. So, yeah, well, well said. Just one other thing that I thought was quite interesting, quite encouraging, was that our under-23s had a game against uh, Ramsgate uh, at the same time as that game. And considering pretty much all of our under-23s were playing for the first team, you know, it was another age group down again. So uh, the under-18s uh, predominantly, and they won 6-0 away from home at Ramsgate, which, is again, is a pretty... You know, impressive result and the under 23s have got a handful of games around the southeast over the next few weeks and they're open to to people to go and watch you can actually go and watch live football so we've got Enfield on Tuesday the 20th Hastings United Tuesday the 27th Crawley on Saturday the 31st and then Barnet on Saturday the, uh, Saturday the 7th of August and all of those they're, so they're all away from home but you can you can get tickets and go and see them and so they think you know when we've been starved of football so long um, it's a good good way to kind of scratch that itch. Sticking with schedules for a second, uh, our next game is against Colchester United on Wednesday. Uh, then we're playing MK Dons on Wednesday the 28th. Then, of course, it's Chelsea and Arsenal in the Mind Series in early August. And for those who actually want to see how the training sessions are going, the club are holding an open training session on Saturday the 31st of July. And fans can register an interest in attending through the club website. And I have to say, I've been to a few of the open training sessions and they're a lot of fun uh, to watch. And, they're you know, it's quite informative. It's interesting to see exactly I mean I don't think we get the full range of exercises and drills that they do but you get an idea you get an impression and, and it's, it's 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 a good thing to see I think and while we're here before we get into the main main event tonight let's you know Nuno first press conference who wants to talk about that I'll say, I'll say I thought he was excellent I mean it's just so refreshing to have someone in front of the cameras who is yeah, going to make us feel proud to be supporters of Tottenham Hotspur. You can tell a lot about just the man's eyes. He's got, you can tell he's just got a good soul. I like the fact that, you know, he, he mentioned as well that, um, he wasn't particularly focused on just attacking play because that was where the, the questions seemed to be coming from the journalists. So, are you going to make Tottenham, you know, back to being an attacking force again? And he was like, well, it's, it's a balance, which is obviously the fact that he recognizes that is key. I agree with all of that. Awesome. And what I liked about the press conference as well was that there was no wasted words as well. You know, he said, he said what he needed to say. He, the, the things we expected him to say, you know, the run of the mill stuff he said and then the stuff that uh you know just needed to be needed to give us a bit more detail about what he's about he said as well um you know and then there was no fluff it was like this is this is how this is what it is this is what i'm here to do i really enjoyed hearing him say that basically all the players have a clean slate now and you know he said all the players are in my plans and that i think that's so important for especially for these uh, bunch of players who under the previous regime may have felt isolated or you know kind of pushed pushed out or you know or 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 felt really safe you know no matter what they mm-hmm. did they felt safe so that's good everyone's on a clean slate as it should be um i'm really looking forward to seeing what he's uh he's going to do with us yeah he's got a quiet authority about him hasn't he yeah he's not playing to the camera or anything like that he just handles the questions well yeah no it's good it's good i i, I 
find him very likable, which you know something we said on the on the pod when he was announced. Yeah, I, I agree like with what you're saying there. He's very very calmly authoritative. Awesome, you really kind of hit the nail on the head. It's just such a pleasure to see someone that you actually feel proud of. I do want to buy into it, and I do want to believe because I, I think he's very earnest. Um, and I do I do also have to kind of repeat the point that you made. I mean, you did make the point that you know we are down on our physical health if you will our fitness since the pot years I, I completely agree it's nice to see someone coming in and making that a priority and you know what's most intriguing to me the players are happy to have someone come in and do that with them and they have been as players do making sure that the message gets out through their you know prs and whatever that they appreciate being actually put through their paces a little bit i mean obviously there's going to be some jostling for space to be in the new manager's eyes but it seems that he's had a very positive reaction from the whole playing staff as well. And that can only be good for us, right? It can only be good. Good start. Nice to see that preseason friendly blooding a couple of youngsters we hadn't seen and confirming that Dane Scarlett is perhaps what we think he is. And uh, thumbs up, Nuno. Great first couple of weeks yep. at the club. And now we get to the heart of tonight's pod, which is what happened next. I don't know how many times you sat there with a player from the past ticker taping across your memory, trying to remember where they are now and what they're doing before realizing the kettle's boiled or the toast is cold and crispy. And, you know, you, you go and you commit to make sure that you get a worthwhile cup and a snack before forgetting what or who you were thinking about. You know, because we all know life does go on without the mighty Spurs. And there have been some players from our past that went on to do incredible things. And and we do. We, these names come across our mind and, and, you know, some of them are more prominent. Glenn Hoddle, Chrissy Waddle, Gazza and Mr Lineker are a few of the glam subjects from our past that, you know, we won't be distracted from thinking about by tea and toast. But what about the Kevin Prince Boatengs, Carl Norton's or George Kevin and Kudus of our recent years? Yes, folks. Tonight, with kettles boiled and slices toasted, in my case involving a nice spot of mature cheddar and pickle, we'll be looking into the what happened next The four former Spurs players whose careers are still in flow. We'll discuss all aspects of their post-Spurs careers, whether it brought success, woe, or that weird drifting space in between. We're not going to talk about the time with us. We know about that and have probably discussed some of it before on this pod. Instead, we are going to be looking more at what happened next. We've each taken a player and had a look at their post-Spurs career, but before we get to our chosen four, let's first have a quick look at some of the players we don't have time to dive into. First up's the aforementioned Kevin Prince Boateng, who joined Hertha Berlin on a free transfer this summer, and he left us in 2009 and since played for Portsmouth, Genoa, AC Milan, FC Schalke 04, UD Las Palmas, Eintracht Frankfurt, Sassuolo, Barcelona, Fiorentina, Besiktas, Monza, and as I just mentioned, now Hertha Berlin. Uh, that was the abridged version because he's done several spells at several of those clubs. And then we come to John Bostock, who some of you might remember was a, a £1 million teenager, uh, considered very expensive, very controversial, um, came from Crystal Palace uh, as, a, as an apprentice. But he has played since leaving us for Royal Antwerp, OH Leuven, Lons, Bursaspor, Toulouse, Nottingham Forest. I pronounce Nottingham Forest properly. And in January, he joined Doncaster <laughs> Rovers. Tom Carroll is currently at QPR, also playing for Aston Villa and Swansea. Uh, and he left us in 2017. There's Alex Pritchard, now at Sunderland, after being with Norwich and Huddersfield. And there's also 
a young man called Stephen Corker. Probably not so young anymore, but I remember that we all thought he was going to be a giant centre-half. Um, and he joined Cardiff in 2013, and since then has played for QPR, Dundee, Elania Spore. He joined Fenerbahce for £3.96 million on the 1st of July 2021. And do not forget, he was a centre-half at Liverpool Football Club too. So, as we can see, some of these players have had quite a journey since leaving us. Uh, and Ram, why don't you lead us away? You're first up, and you're going to be looking at one of our favourite ex-players who's still going strong at a ripe old age and is about to go into his 21st season as a professional footballer. And I'm, I think it's your name to take away. So, drum roll. Thank you, Steph. I will be talking about Jermaine Defoe. Uh, who, by all accounts, is one of our most popular players ever. Still going strong, which is really good to hear. So I'll just do a quick rundown. Um, he doesn't need any massive introduction. We know what he's, you know, what he's done for us. So I'll go straight into February 2014. After a second stint with us, um, we sold him to Toronto FC in the MLS for a fee of 8.18 million, which, by all accounts, was a pretty decent business for uh, for a player. He was 31, I believe, at the time. Um, he spent 11 months there under Ryan Nelson, um, ex-Spurs player Ryan Nelson. But after Ryan Nelson was um, sacked, his future was put into doubt. So he spent 11 months there. He scored uh, he scored 12 goals in 21 appearances in all competitions. Then in Jan 2015, he joined Sunderland on a three-and-a-half-year deal uh, for £3.15 million and made his debut against us but didn't score thankfully. And he spent three seasons at Sunderland making 93 appearances in all competitions, scoring 37 goals. Um, some highlights of his time there inc- include scoring the winning goal in a time where derby, um, scoring vital goals to keep Sunderland in the Premier League in his first and second seasons. Um, he was the top scorer and their player of the year in uh, the 16-17 season um, and scored his 150th Premiership goal being uh, becoming the joint 7th highest scorer in the Premier league at the time of all time then in 1st of july 2017 he moved to bournemouth um after sunderland were relegated from the premier league uh, and i believe that was for 4.5 million so again um he's going for good money you know for a player that's kind of in his uh, getting into his mid-30s um he spent one and a half seasons there making 34 appearances in all competitions but scoring only four goals um the only highlight of note with them was that after scoring the winning goal against brighton um it meant he had scored in 17 different premier league seasons which is a brilliant achievement wow. by by any means for any player so in January 2019, he joined Rangers on loan um, in the Scottish Premier League uh, and it was an 18-month loan deal where um, he found his goal-scoring touch again. He scored 25 goals in 52 appearances in all competitions, including two goals in seven appearances uh, in Europe. So he went back into playing in the Europa League. Um, and because of that, he joined Rangers, uh, Rangers permanently um, after his uh, Bournemouth contract ended in June 2020 uh, and he scored seven goals in 20 appearances in all competitions competitions he won his first and only league title at the age of 38 um, with Rangers last season and he scored his 300th career goal last October uh, against Livingston he's clearly very highly regarded at Rangers because last month he signed a new one-year deal and as part of the contract, he has joined the coaching staff uh, of the club. 
Within that time, just a quick note, he had uh, his international career. He actually had two appearances for England uh, in 2017. In 2017, He was recalled by Gareth Southgate and he made two appearances, including scoring the opening goal in a 2-0 World Cup qualifier win against Lithuania. Outside of football, um, he, was avo- he was awarded the OBE in 2018 for services to the Jermaine Defoe Foundation, a charity set up in 2013 to support homeless, vulnerable and abused children um, in the Caribbean islands and here in the UK. I've got some uh, just one stat I wanted to put forward. So after he left Tottenham, he had uh, 222 appearances um, in all competitions, scoring 85 goals. Yeah, I would say you know he's still going strong, still a fantastic servant for you know the clubs he's, he's been at, and uh, what a thoroughly wonderful gentleman as well. I'm going to throw a, 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 a hopefully not a spanner in the works, and if it is, Milo, cut this out. But I mean, you don't happen to have his statistics with us handy, do you? Just in terms of games and goals. I know he scored 163 league goals for us because he's part of one of the few players that's part of the 100 club. So I mean, just just right there, you have to say that you know the context is of of, of what we, you've just been talking about is is amazing. And I mean, I think that one of the things I would have to say is it just what dedication. I mean, the fitness that you have to have. And I mean, I don't know how many of us, I mean, you know, see him on social media and stuff, but this guy looks like he did when he first signed for us. Actually, he looks fitter. <laughs> yeah, he's a vegan, isn't he? He became a vegan, I think it was when he was with us. So yeah. he's been very clean living for quite a while. I must admit, when he went to uh, Toronto, I thought that was his career over. I thought yeah. he was going to, you know, for an MLS retirement. So to have this this chapter, you know, where he's back playing in the Premier League and elsewhere and playing so long, you know, it's great. It's uh, it's really encouraging and, um, you know, more power to him. One of the things I was thinking of when when you were talking there was about his time at Sunderland. I, re- I remember that he formed um, a close bond with a kid who'd been a mascot there, Bradley Lowry, yeah. who had former cancer and um, you know, sadly passed away four years ago now. But I remember that um, Defoe, a lot with him or for him you know, while he was alive, but also did a lot of work um, for, for the foundation they set up in, in his honour and you know, as a tribute to him. So I think, um, yeah, I think he's a player that's has touched the fans of a lot of clubs and um, is held by you know held in high regard by pretty much everywhere he's been. I think the uh, I think the good thing about Defoe is just the sheer amount of games he played for us over those two spells. I mean, he will always be known as a Tottenham legend rather than any other particular club. But yeah, I mean, still going at Rangers and Rangers have you know returned to some of their former glory, haven't they? Recently, the fact that he's still making a living there is amazing. I tell you the one that really uh, really struck me was to so say we were talking about this during the week, weren't we, Ram? He um he uh, cropped up and he played as defensive midfielder yeah. in one game <laughs> last season. Against against Livingston. Um it was only about ten minutes, but I think it was probably similar to Danny Rose's uh, cameos in that position for us a few years yeah. ago. <laughs> I think in closing talking about Jermaine Defoe's uh, you know, especially this second whole career that he's had, I think the thing that shines through for me is he's incredible positivity and his incredibly like you know enthusiastic energy and demeanor which obviously has a huge effect on his teammates obviously Mm. positively impacts the management I mean Stephen Gerrard looks delighted to have him around and it is actually for me a testimony to the to, to, to like what the power of being a positive person can be in life and particularly how important it is in any dressing room to have a couple of players of that nature I mean if you were to write down a checklist of all the items 
items of professionalism required. Jermaine Defoe would actually have written that checklist for you because he ticks mm. them all. So, I mean, you know, I mean, in fairness, I think we're going to have to go. I think any club will have to go a long way to find the next player of theirs, especially as prominent a one as he was for us, as Awesome said, who has really gone on to impress just as much with his second career. So I suppose, Jermaine Defoe, we all salute you, right? <laughs> That's the truth. Agreed. Uh, and so from Jermaine Defoe and a checklist of professionalism, we go to a rather more intriguing and curious story, um, which I'm really looking forward to hearing from Milo about a player who uh, I think at one point was considered to be a hybrid of George Best, Lionel Messi, <laughs> Maradona <laughs> all at once. I mean, some of the stuff you used to hear about uh, about this guy was unbelievable. He was, you know, deliciously entertaining at times, but outrageously frustrating at others. And Milo's now going to tell us about this bag of tricks. Uh, and, and Milo, uh, I'll spare you one of my oral drum rolls and just let you get right into it. <laughs> So a Delta wrapped. And um, I think you just pretty much stole my intro there, Steph. That was pretty much what I said about it. It's like, uh, so, um, so I think it's quite apt that we're talking about him today because because he's a player that we got very excited about in pre-season. And I remember people getting very, very carried away and thinking he was going to completely rip up the league that year. And of course, it didn't quite work out like that. And... I th- you know, realistically, he never really established himself that much for us. He was always a bit of a bit part player, you know, here and there, had the old good performance, but never really managed to cement a place. I think for a lot of his early career, he was, you know, considered to be, you know, he's a street footballer, not really very easy to train, um, you know, not one for tactics or systems. And I think that there's probably a feeling that he was maybe born 10 or 20 years too late. And if he was a little earlier on, someone would have built a team around him, put a load of people around to do the hard work for him, and uh, he'd be free to to do what he wants. He left us and so he went, went to QPR on loan. He had several different loan spells there before they signed him permanently. I found this quote from, he'd got some criticism from Harry Redknapp about one of his performances, and Trapp said, maybe he expects me to make more tackles. I'm not that type of player. <laughs> and... Normally, when you say he's not that type of player, it's about something else entirely. But um, that's where he thought he was at that time. <laughs> and so after a couple of uh, seasons on, on loan there, they signed him for one million. He won the championship there in 2010-11 under Neil Warnock. And Warnock was probably the first manager who knew what to do with him. And he did pretty much what I just said. He built he, he built a team around him and let him do what he wanted. And And that season... He scored 19 goals, got 18 assists from the number 10 position and was the championship player of the season with the, with the QPR fans singing Taraps too good for you, which was true. The following season in the Premier League, uh, wasn't, wasn't so good. You know, he scored a couple of goals and, you know, struggled to make an impact. Um, and, you know, maybe that tactic of giving the ball to Rapt and letting him do the rest didn't really work so well with, you know, against better opposition. He left QPR to go on loan to Fulham in 2013 14. And then he went on loan to AC Milan in January 2014, where he did really well under Clarence Seedorf. Wow. I know. <laughs> wow. I mean, that is unbelievable. Yeah. The fairy tale gets better, Steph. So QPR sold Adele to Benfica in the summer of 2015 uh, for 5.4 million. But it would take nearly four years for him to make his first a first team appearance. A key turning point for him was uh, an 18 month 18 month loan spell at Genoa, uh, during which Tarapt admitted he had lost 11 kilograms of weight. And his relationship with Ivan Jiric, his manager there, he said, "When I first arrived at Genoa, I was out of shape and there were problems. I'm coming back now, not quite where I was before, but I'm getting there." With Ivan, you always know you always have to go full pelt. He's fair though. 
If you prove that you understand uh, what went wrong, he'll press the reset button and start again. I don't know if we can call each other friends, but he's certainly changed my life and my body. Tarat returned to Benfica in 2018, but barely featured for the first All-B team for most of the 2018-19 season. And then something remarkable happened. Towards the end of the, the year, he got a chance to play in central midfield as part of a double pivot, a position that he cemented the following season, making 38 appearances for Benfica in all conti- competitions, including four in the Champions League. Wow. Last season, he featured 42 times for Benfica. Adele seems to do best when he's got a manager who understands him, Warnock, Seedorf, Jurich, and at Benfica, Bruno Large, who's just taken over at Wolves. This most unlikely chapter in his career, of him being a defensive or central midfielder, is down to Larg, who said... We tried to place it a place him as a second striker, but we felt that he couldn't he, we could take more advantage of him in a double pivot. He gives us defensive balance, but also quality in attack. What a career. So if you wrote it, you people wouldn't believe you. Steph, I want you to go do, go down to LA tomorrow and pitch the Adelta rap story to the big wigs in Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Street footballer, cult hero, keeping Robinho out of the side at AC Milan, wow. the wilderness years, weight gain. Can't get a game, but what a final act. He can do tactics. He does have discipline. You can build your team around him and thrive. I'll give you a Delta Rat. <laughs> well, Amazing. given that Hollywood wants to make a film about that bloody absolute waster number nine at Leicester, I absolutely completely agree. What a much more intriguing story. I mean, I just was, as you were doing, the, as you were reading uh, your, your notes and your homework there, I, w- I was showing the, the, the chap's pictures of him from Benfica, where he just looks, I mean, uh, in fairness, uh, he did really like morph himself into a very, very uh, svelte-looking uh, midfield dynamo. Yeah. It was really quite something. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, what it, it what it what it must be to have that talent and just, mm. I mean, a, a blessing and a curse. And then you wonder, like, I wonder who was around him. You know, I wonder if he had to change his social circle. What what happened? Yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, I thought he'd end up as a beach footballer or something when he first, you know, I thought he'd end up on a beach. Looking back at looking back at so at QPR, he scored a goal goal against I think it was um, Preston where it was Radek Cherny in goal for them so another ex of our players and he, he scuffed a clearance and Adele picked it up kind of halfway inside his half dribbled round half the Preston team very similar to kind of the Maradona second Maradona goal against England in in, in 86 and then um, and then shoots from outside the area like centre of goal and curls it around um around the, the Preston goalkeeper, just absolutely mind-blowing. No one else could do it. He nutmegged, nutmegged about three people, you know, almost dribbled into a crowd in order to, you know, come out the other side with the ball. It was phenomenal. And, yeah, just what skill. But then I was also watching some, you know, clips from the Champions League where, you know, he's still nutmegging people. He's still got tricks, mm. but but he's using them, you know, for the team, you know, it's a more controlled um, way of playing fascinating absolutely fascinating career I think um, Tarapt is, a, is an example of when someone says oh uh, there's a certain type of player and one, that type of player can never change I think he's mm. pro- he's proven that you actually can with a bit of discipline and you know maybe the right people or person behind you that's actually helping you transition to that I mean his stats in that championship QPR season you know 19 mm. goals 18 assists it may be the championship but that's still uh, incredible stats for any football league to then now be a defensive midfielder <laughs> uh, yeah. playing in the Champions League and a really good one by all accounts playing for a, for a very big club um, you know mm. he is he is that kind of enigma and I remember when he played for Spurs and even when he left they, I kind of followed him up to when he went to Milan because I always thought we're going to regret this we're going to regret this we're going to re- regret this and there, he had this sort of aura about him where you're like, you know, we, we shouldn't have let him go. But then it got to the point where I was like, no, that was a good decision, actually. 
obviously he was he was all he was all hot air you know barb that that season with QPR in in the championship but i'm not saying he's proved us wrong but he's proved himself that he he belongs you know as a professional footballer and fair play to him you know like in any career in any in life if you're able to make that transition um you know hats off to you so uh yeah yeah i'm really happy for him <laughs> Yeah, if we were doing a podcast about, you know, missed opportunities, players for Spurs, he, he'd certainly be in, in the reckoning, wouldn't he? Ultra gifted, maybe wrong manager, wrong time, wrong decade. I'll never forget his debut against Derby when he came on and just did nutmeg after nutmeg. He, <laughs> he was doing that stuff before Delhi was even born. Um, but no, glad, glad to see he didn't completely waste his career and, uh, yeah, made the best of it at some of those clubs, big clubs. I mean, it's an incredible... I mean, I know we're going back to it over and over. I mean, you know, but the position he's ended up in versus where he started. I mean, because to me, he was the mm. quintessential socks around the ankle, no shin pad, Stefan Dolmatish uh, sort of like, <laughs> you know, enigmatic talent that was going to go a kebab too far and, as uh, as we said, end up in, in a, you know, leisurely... <laughs> sitting telling people how good he was from a chair when he never fulfilled it but you know I, I, it just goes to show sometimes a brilliant player needs to change scenery and 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 you just need a completely different environment and you would have to say perhaps yeah. britain was not the right place for him and perhaps he needed mm. uh, a little more of the uh, of the european lifestyle and, and and attitude uh especially i mean to fitness at the time that he was going to those clubs i mean i think only arsene wenger was really you know campaigning you know fitness on the level that we've now seen it in the premiership so i'd say that maybe he needed that you know yeah i mean it, interestingly he nearly signed to, nearly signed for arsenal so wow. it was uh Camoli was our director of football at the time and he he um he was in talks with arsenal and then poached him off them so wow that nearly happened and it would be interesting to see what what venger would have done with him yeah no doubt um and you know then how that would have gone i think you know, the, I do think that it's certain managers that he responds to, and it'll be interesting to see what happens at Benfica next season with a change of manager there, and whether he can k- keep that form and whether he can still still perform. And you know, maybe being that bit older, and you know, he's had a couple of seasons to establish himself, it won't impact him to the same degree. But um, it's been a problem in the past, I think. Sorry, Milo, if you've already mentioned it, but how old is he? Thirty-two. Wow. Well, one would have to say that he's. I think uh, he's proven his proven his point and it's hard to imagine that he won't continue to prove it so uh that was fascinating that was really something i was not i was not expecting that last half i have to say so uh yeah <laughs> i don't think anyone was <laughs> yeah. no, not even him <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, quite. I, I think that i think that four years from signing for ben Fee for making his debut is just amazing yeah. just yeah. you know and a lesson to all of us when we write off players. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and, and a, a stunning example of so awesome. Uh, well, I mean, look, we've written a nice little line here. It's your turn, and you've won the lottery. Um, I mean, if we all if we all like do this thing where we close our eyes, collective conscience, and we think of all the great players that have gone on to have careers outside our club, um, there's probably one name that leaps to the fore. Gareth Bale doesn't count. There is another name, and you're going to tell us who it is because you're going to be talking about him. And in fairness, before you do, we all wish he was still with us. Absolutely. So I'll be talking about the the little Croatian, Luka Modric, who actually turns 36 in about six weeks, early September, as we've just seen in the Euros. He's he's still operating at the uh, at the top level. He's nearly had two decades playing as a uh, as a top class player. Um, I, I absolutely include. Dinamo Zagreb in that because I'm assuming if you're playing for Dinamo Zagreb as a young footballer you're 
clearly worth your salts and um it wouldn't be an easy league for for somebody who probably weighs um you know 65 kilograms when wet or whatever he weighs <laughs> shares a birthday random fact with adam sandler and leo tolstoy um but anyway the reason why we're talking about him at the moment is what happened to him after he left our great club there's a joke there somewhere um, isn't there <laughs> <laughs> there must be together. He um one thing one thing I learned doing the research on on Modric was that when he left us in 2012 for Real Madrid, which we saw it ha- we saw it coming. Mourinho was the manager, and um you know we got we got 30 million pounds for him, which seems like daylight robbery. It was a bit of a drawn out exit, you know. Chelsea and a lot of other clubs, no doubt, showed serious interest, and Levy Levy did Levy things. Redknapp at the time had an amazing squad of players and built him up on a weekly basis in post-match uh, press conferences. And I think one of the lines that was often rolled out was he would improve any team in the world. And it's absolutely true. And he went on to prove that, um, moving to, you know, probably the biggest team in the world and absolutely improving them and, and being there for a huge amount of time. I mean, he's, he's a year off getting a testimonial if they, if they do that sort of thing there. Over the, the last 12 years, um, there's only been two, two players who've won the Ballon d'Or except Modric. We know who they are, but to force your way into that company is, uh, is no mm-hmm. mean feat. He did it in 2018 where obviously Croatia got to the World Cup final. Even then, you know, he was age 32 and apart from winning Ballon d'Or also picked up FIFA and UEFA awards for being the best player in the world. His qualities, which we know so well from his time at Tottenham, um, you know, incredible first touch, strength beyond his stature, ridiculous level of passing ability. And, you know, his party piece, which he showed in the Euros against Scotland, the, I was going to say the outside of the foot pass in that, in that instance, he passed it into the, uh, into the top corner and saw Croatia progress 142 games for Croatia. Capturing them uh, more recently, and as I just mentioned, taking them to a World Cup final, which for a, a smaller nation, and they are obviously a quality team, Croatia. But you know, getting to a World Cup final is an absolutely mm. amazing feat. And it got me, it got me thinking a little bit about you know what what kind of player he was. Like we we had such a long time, a bit you know, unlike with Tarap, we had so much time to enjoy Modric. But to kind of sum him up, the words I came out with was. An ego-free, technically elite magician who has seemingly just got better with time. I mean, he was amazing when he left us and he hasn't, he's never had a dip, really. He's, he's, if anything, improved. I mean, not that you can improve from that, that passing ability he's got, which is over six, six yards or, you know, over 60. He, he just hits them perfectly. He knows where everyone is all the time. I think you alluded to it, Steph, at the start. I, I can't think of a more successful ex-Spurs player. I mean, Bale, Bale did well. It, it got me thinking about how he deserves to be remembered. And, you know, it feels a bit rude saying that because he hasn't stopped yet. I think he's got one year left on his contract at Real Madrid. But he absolutely deserves to be spoken about in the same company as the likes of... I picked out these names because I didn't want to get too carried away. But I'm, I'm saying in the same company as Iniesta, Xavi, mm-hmm. Pirlo... Mm-hmm. Fabregas, Skulls. And that, that's not bad mm-hmm. company. The only game I, I scratched off that list was Zidane because I think Zidane's got that. I mean, they're all legends, but, um, yeah, it was very hard to pick the Modric level. But either way, we're talking about an elite caliber of player here. And mm-hmm. I, I feel lucky enough to have seen him play live. I feel lucky that he cares about us as a club. I found one good quote, which was that, he said that my one regret is I didn't win a trophy with Spurs, despite us being a strong team who played good football. That was nice to read. 
and maybe, yeah, maybe it's time for him to come back in a year's time and uh, do a bit of a Matinho role for, for Nuno. <laughs> well, it's an interesting point. Would We'd have him back, wouldn't we? 100%. I think so. He's still good enough. Go on, Milo. I'm not sure. <laughs> not in a year's time. I want to build the next. I want. I want the next Modric, not the last yeah, one. Yeah, but him we, could and Bale. The, we could have the current Modric to coach the next one. <laughs> mm, I, no. Well, until we find the next Modric, I'd have him for a season just to fill the gap. <laughs> That's just me. But I, th- I think I think you're right. Uh, awesome. I think he's undoubtedly our best player who's still playing. You know, our best ex player who's still playing, undoubtedly. And you know, when you talk about that kind of list of um, players you're comparing him to, then in terms of level, I agree entirely. I think you know, if you talk about kind of the Champions League era. He's one of the greats in his position, and you know he's amongst the you know he's he's in in the same company with with our ex players. You know, you I think you know we we talked about our favourite team of all time and he, a few weeks ago, and he was in there. He stands on the same level as anyone who's ever played for us. What he could do and what he continued to do at a higher level than he did with us was he's the mm. only player that I can think of that I've seen live who could truly take a game and reset the pace and the time of it to yeah. what he wanted. So essentially, yeah. he saw the game as a clock, and he's like, I'm going to set you to my time zone, and I'm going to make sure that I'm the clock, not you. He would it just he dictated the pace, and he still does dictate it. Mm. I'm saying it's a past tense. How ignorant. He still dictates the pace mm. of every game he plays. I was about to say the same thing, Steph. He's a metronome player. He's incredible, and that's where your Iniesta's uh, comparison and Xavi uh, comparison was so strong. And I, I still think I'd rather him over either of them, because I think he's more versatile. I don't know if those two players could play outside Barcelona City system and that's not to denigrate them in any way it's probably actually shows my ignorance more than anything however Luca has done it in in, in two different leagues in two different countries and on the uh, the international stage so he's shown he can mm. I think he always uh, he he pretty much invented the term the assist for the assist because he was he, you know he was always yeah. setting up the play or setting up that killer pass that then set up the assist you know that 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 the player then set up the assist for and he really everyone always talks about him uh, when he's playing in that it feels like he has all the space in the world and you whenever he gets the ball to him you see that physically on the pitch mm. there's no one around him he's got all the time mm. in the world to turn and he turns quickly and he still continues to do that and I, I you know I agree with the names you put in there awesome about you know he's probably not going to be regarded in that level of a Zidane I think mainly because of his stats as well you know he, his stats belie how good he is and he really was like you know he for us I think he was such a magical player he continues to be the only he I've never seen him have a dip I have seen him have a bad game and that was only because the the legendary Harry Winks at Wembley um, turned rings around him and, <laughs> him and Tony Cruz in that Madrid midfield you know so he met his match there um but uh but other than that what an impeccable career i had to leave so many so many notable awards and things out as i was you know writing my notes for that he he's he's won so much it's mm. it's absolutely ridiculous and he's clearly he's probably going to be president of croatia at some point in his life i mean they love him beyond all belief and he symbolises a lot of what's actually good about football. You know, he plays clean. He doesn't, he rarely picks up yellow cards. He doesn't need to get dirty. He lives a good, you know, wholesome lifestyle. And, and yeah, 36 in a few weeks time says it all because, you know, he didn't have a bad season for Real Madrid last year. 
Um, he clearly didn't just have a bad Euros. He can do it at the top level still. And um, yeah, he, he's he's one of the players that's what's good about football. He was one. Of, stop. He was one of Harry's. I mean, wasn't he one of Harry's? And I know we shouldn't be talking too much about their time at Spurs, but come on, we can have a minute or so to revel in his Spurs career. I mean, wasn't he one of the players that Harry turned around and said, "I'd just tell everyone to give him the ball. Just get the yeah. ball and give <laughs> it to the tactic. Do you think? Do you think that that's what's happened? That and I wonder if that's happened at Real Madrid. I mean, amongst all those Galacticos that he's played with, it does seem that everything just was flowed through him. And I mean, the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and, and so on and so forth. I mean, they must just, I mean, I hope they bought him plenty of dinners. <laughs> I mean, you know, and a couple of nice watches. You know the ball's going to be to feet every time, Absolutely. don't you? Absolutely, yeah. He knows what run you're making before yeah, you do. Exact, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. In his head, he's got a map of the pitch. He knows where everyone is. And he doesn't even have to get, he doesn't even have to lift his head and look. He knows where everyone is instinctively. Apparently, he helped, really helped Bale settle as well. Took him under his wing. Um, Obviously, they had the Tottenham bond, but. You know, Bell was hit and miss at, at patches of his Real Madrid time, and I'm sure Modric helped a lot there, not just with his passing, but with his uh, arm around the shoulder in the dressing room. I mean, he's just a good man. How did we not win anything with that team? That Modric, Bale, <laughs> Van der Vaart in that oh, well. midfield. It's, we're getting, oh, we're getting, anyway, in, anyway. we're getting into <laughs> another pod. How did we not win with that brilliant team? <laughs> the story and the history of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. <laughs> That'll be another pod coming to you. An opus. <laughs> an opus. <laughs> the second opus. <laughs> I, of course, am the only person left. Uh, I am going to choose a player that I thought very highly of, actually, and I expected him to be a future Spurs skipper. I mean, so much so that as I uh, quipped last week, I, I, you know, I sort of... Yeah, put my hat on it or whatever that phrase is which is why I now don't wear hats and have to wear this stupid haircut that's the second week in a row you get that joke so if you didn't laugh last week you can laugh this week he first came into the side under Tim Sherwood and he was a cornerstone of Poch's first team and I am talking about Nabil Bentaleb so his post Spurs career started while he was with us actually in 2016 he was loaned to Schalke uh, and before that move finally became permanent in 2017. And he stayed with Schalke through to 2021. And he made 107 appearances in total and scored 19 goals, which is quite something when you consider that, you know, he had built his career on being, a, you know, a, a very industrious, energetic uh, box-to-box midfielder who maybe didn't have the range of passing that you might have wanted, but more than made up for it with the ability to read read the game very well and really, really snuff out trouble very quickly and work well in tandems. I mean, he, with us, he did work with well with Ryan Mason. Anyway, he had a great time at Schalke for the first year or two. And then, it, you know, he... He won goal of the season in the Bundesliga for a 30-yard left foot screamer against FC Augsburg. And I don't know if you get the chance to see it, it's a hell of a strike. And it's one of those, like, it's so good that it smacks off the underside of the crossbar on the right-hand side and bounces over the line. So it actually achieves every single aim that you want from a screamer because it does, you know, you love it when it kisses the woodwork and goes in. It just gives you that much more pizzazz. Uh, and it's a great shot. It's, it was a great shot. Uh, and quite unlike him, as I say, it wasn't uh, he wasn't known as a goal scorer, but he would go on to score a fair amount of goals. He did start to get injured uh, here and there. Um, And I think that started to creep into causing problems for him. I mean, the way he left us was due to an injury that led to him getting grumpy because he got, you know, replaced by 
a guy called Deli Ali and a guy called Musa Dembele started to force his way into the side. So that was the beginning. And again, it was at Schalke, the wheels started coming off in, in March 2019. He was demoted to the under-23s. He returned to the first team in April, but was then subsequently dropped again later in the month. And, you know, it's really hard to know where, you know, where to put the blame. You would look at Schalke when he joined and say that they were a, a huge club. I mean, in 2015, they were the seventh best mm. club in UEFA's rankings. You know, by 2020, they'd fallen to being the 31st. So there's something going on there. But you must remember before you would say, oh, well, that just tells you he was part of a side and, you know, he brought them down. He didn't play for the back half of, of, of you know, 2018, 2019. He hardly played for them. When he was playing, they were solid. So you have mm. to go and look at, you know, that club has had a lot of managerial turmoil. And between 2017 and now, to my counting, and as we all know, arithmetic is not necessarily my strong point, they've had five different managers. So I think for a player who, you know, is you know fairly, shall we say, the line between being strong-willed and leadership material versus occasionally possibly being a little too fiery, you know, if you don't have the understanding of your manager, a consistent understanding, uh, it, it's going to... It's going to play havoc with your career. There's, you know, there's no two ways about it. It was a sad, it's sad. He ended up going to Newcastle on loan uh, in 2020, and he had 15 appearances there. And you know, I went foraging for information to try and get feedback on how he was. And you know, I checked out a couple of highlights. And you would have to say he looked. He actually looked a little depressed to me. He looked just very average and sort of like he was playing it out. You know, like he was there, he was doing a job. And uh, and in fairness, Steve Bruce actually thought he was decent, but decided to sign Jeff Hendrick instead because he felt that Jeff Hendrick's Premier League experience was make him a better value player. Nabil would have also cost Newcastle ten million and the mm. eye popping weekly wage of eighty thousand. That was the figure I read. Again, let's hope I've got that right because if not, I'm going to hear about it. But that was the figure I saw quoted. And if that's the case, it will start to tell you perhaps why his time at Schalke got so sticky because of all the clubs in the Bundesliga that got whacked hard by COVID. I was reading that that Schalke really got it to the point where they thought they were going to have to file bankruptcy. So if you think about those two matters and they're trying to cut corners in the books, they might have actually, might have been very convenient for them to find a way to not deal with him and maybe try and shuffle him off. I'm not sure. That's my speculation. Where he is right now is a free agent, which is just incredible to me. The talent this guy had was, uh, was you know, shocking. And I felt as a captain, he would have been brilliant. And so I've never got a prediction of a young player so spectacularly wrong. I mean, I really, really got that wrong. I suspect I'm not the only one. I do want to read a couple of quotes from him. Uh, you know, these are all from an interview that he did with The Independent in 2019 when he went with Schalke to play Man City in the Champions League. He's still playing at a high level. And it was looking back at his time with us. And I think it is, even though we're not looking too much at Spurs' careers, I think it's quite reflective and informative as to where he where he is now he said Pochettino is one of the first ones who always believed in me there were some players the club bought but he put me a 19 year old boy into play every game and he put a lot of trust in me and he said I was young and when I came back from injuries I wanted to play I was so hungry to play straight away and so frustrated when I didn't I know that the coach was just trying to protect me I know I made mistakes, but they've helped me learn and they helped me learn as a man. And if I was 24 right now and I've been at Tottenham, I don't think I would have made the same mistakes. He wanted the best for me. I respect him for sure. 
Uh, and now I have a bit more maturity. I understand what he was trying to do for me. I'd be a hypocrite to say I'd not like to be there still, but this is football. And he did say, and it's really quite sad when I when I read this. Uh, you know, he said England gave me the chance. Where I'm from in France, nobody gave that to me. So I'm forever grateful to Tottenham, the whole club, the administration. They gave me an opportunity to make my dream, to realise my dream. I grew up from 16 in England, and I left at 20. I spent a lot of time there, made lots of friends. I love that country. Country. I love the football. He mentions France. He played for France once as a, an under-19 and, of course, as an Algerian international who's played 35 times and scored five goals. And the reason I wanted to read those quotes is because of all the players we've talked about tonight who have gone on to really kind of, you know, smash it, in fairness. They've all done it in their own way. This is really, it's such a, it's a sad story to me because it's obviously a tremendous talent in there and it does just show that your surroundings, your environment, your chemistry is so vital. And, and it's so interesting we had Adel Tarap uh, broken down mm -hmm. so well by Milo. You know, this seems to me to be a parallel situation where if, you know, Bentaleb could have even found the same consistency of, of management and coaching. I mean, Benfica stuck with Tarap for four years. You know, it seems like Schalke were always finding a way to clash with it, or he was finding a way to clash with them. Five managers... You're never going to make it work, are you? Because you need someone to love you. So Nabil Bentaleb, an enigmatic talent who is 26 years old and a free agent and who at one mm. point was considered one of the brightest potential deep-sitting centre midfielders or box-to-box -box midfielders who could play either role you wanted. To the point, we gave him a five-year contract in 2015 because Liverpool wanted it. Mm. So, yeah, he, he was a cracking player I wouldn't be surprised if a French club picked him up this summer there's a lot of um, clubs there have been you know, similarly very hard uh, you know, hit hard by um, by Covid and um, their TV deal collapsed there as well so there's a lot of clubs in, with financial problems in France so I think you know you, you're going to see a lot of English clubs picking off uh, talented players at French clubs and they're going to need to backfill those and he's a technically gifted player who's um, you know, out of contract at the moment so he might be an option yeah, he's not going to be getting his the money he was on at Schalke, but it might be an option. I think there's a lot uh, just hearing that, Steph, and there's a lot going on there. I think in his head, uh, or has been, which has been maybe perpetuated by by his upbringing, or maybe has been perpetuated by um, you know maybe a lack of support or, or um, stability. You know, whether it's his club or whether it's uh, um, outside of that. But yeah, it, it, I, 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 I felt a tinge of sadness listening to that, right. you know, because I think and that he's only 26 as well. And and you mentioned Ad Adele Tarapt in that. And my instant thought was he needs a bit of of, of that Tarapt, you know, um, sprinkle of magic dust that kind of turned his career around, you know, because 26. And, and that's a great point, Milo, about, you know, with what, what's happening currently in football and the current climate in terms of um, finances and stuff. He still has an opportunity here. He's not. He's not past it by any means, you know. And he may not have the same um, kind of aura that he did when he was a lot younger. But that we know how good he is technically and how good he can be. It's just I think there needs to be maybe a balance of mm. him sorting his own head out and a club that's willing to kind of support him and nurture him. And maybe maybe he'll be another Adele Tarap story. I'd love mm. to see that. Given how bad their finances are, we'll find out that he signs for Barcelona in the next week or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he'll he'll eventually replace Messi and be the opposite. Yeah, of that's right. Yeah. 
we'll do that we'll do this episode again in a few years time yeah. <laughs> just to say i actually got his wages wrong and i apologize for that he's actually earning eighty-seven thousand pounds a week and he's got a net, i mean I, I i know figures shouldn't really come into this but he apparently has a net worth of over 22 million pounds so as the beatles said money can't buy love you know who's going to love this guy and and bring the player out in him because he's got passion I mean, he never he never played mm. with any less than a hundred percent passion that I saw, except for at Newcastle. But you know, certainly at the, the games that I saw him, he always gave everything. So yeah, I I don't know. I was extremely optimistic for our, our central midfield future when we had him, you mm. know, playing as a nineteen year old under Poch, and I did think it was strange that he went. I do I do just wonder whether or not. Was it a levy decision or did no. Poch have any input no. in can the I, decision can, for him to go? No, I've looked into it. And, and Milo, can I break ranks a little bit and just talk for a minute about what happened mm. there? I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting thing. Uh, he, he he had a stunning first season, if you remember, and that led to that five-year contract I talked about to, to ward off Liverpool. But it was in Poch's second season, he got an ankle injury in September and it kept him out for three months. And Dembele, who had been actually not preferred to both Mason and Bentaleb at that time, because the club, they weren't quite sure they could trust him at that point. And I remember this time, and Dembele mm. was not a consistent player by any stretch. He wasn't what he became. Mm. Um, and a, a chap called Eric Dyer was also playing out of his skin. Uh, and so suddenly Bentaleb couldn't get back in, but he was so desperate to get back in that he started kind of like maybe pushing his line a bit too far and unfortunately for him I think it happened at the time when Poch was laying the law down to everyone and saying if you cross my lines in a disciplined fashion in any way there's zero mm. tolerance because we've seen since then mm. that he has overlooked for certain players breach of discipline not too much but a little none so he got a little bit of the Andrews Townsend treatment because I think he crossed mm. the line and it was really weird. Altavira is another one who who had the same thing, where he ca- got injured, came back, yeah. was was trying to push. That's exactly. You know, thought he was ready Absolutely. before the manager thought he was ready, Acted and, and found himself on the bench. Brilliant comparison. And to be mm. fair, as has been said before, and has been said on this pod, if Poch could have sold him, he would have got rid of him. He was, det- he, would, yeah. he was like not part of it anymore, not having you, and he was almost mm. forced to deal with that. So. There is certainly a line there, was a line with Poch. One feels that if you cross this pit one moment too much, you're done. And and we don't know what that is. And I yeah. think a lot of that interview I was quoting from 2019 was him sort of saying, I, I, I regret my behaviour. And I know that him and Poch mm-hmm. have had several friendly exchanges since then. I mean, they, there's, you know, that they've whatever they had to patch up they patched up so can i just quickly say steph that those quotes you may um you read out about him about his time at tottenham that sounds like a player in his 50s reminiscing Mm. about his time at tottenham and it's so that's what is even more surprising that he's only 26 you know and he's he's kind of reminiscing so yeah all power to him yeah it's it's of all the stories we've told it's probably the saddest one but as we've all equally pointed out 26 years old and with the ability and and uh you know potential attitude he has it's it ain't all over by any stretch uh, you know Nabil take a look at Jermaine yeah. <laughs> let's hope there's another chapter yeah let's yeah. hope so four fascinating stories all uh, for different reasons and all carrying their own various weight and uh, there are several other players that we haven't had a chance to get into in any great detail but I'm going to give you uh, three of them to round us off this evening where to start but with Aaron Lennon who left us for Everton in 2015 moved to Burnley in 2018 and then joined Kaiserspor 
on a free transfer last September and made 36 league appearances for them last season. And by the way, if anyone writes in and criticises my pronunciation of Kaiserispor, <laughs> they can do one. OK, thank you. <laughs> Redo Ziegler is still playing at the age of 35 for FC Lugano in the Swiss Super League. And he's now playing as a centre-back. I couldn't believe it. Reto Ziegler, the centre-back. Uh, you know, and since leaving us in 2007, he has played uh, for Sampdoria, Juventus, Fenerbahce, Lokomotiv Moscow, Sassuolo, FC Sion, FC Luzerne, FC Dallas, before joining Lugano in February of this year. I mean, a centre-back. Oh, Crikey. The mind boggles. <laughs> but it doesn't boggle as much as it does to know that Pascal Chimbonda is still playing at the age of 42 years old. What a legend, eh? I mean, it's... <laughs> Oh, that, oh, he's put a line in here. He says, maybe it's not too late for me to make a comeback. <laughs> yes, it is, mate. <laughs> but I appreciate the thought. <laughs> but Pascal, my word, since leaving us for the second time in 2009. So bear in mind, there were clubs between his first spell and sixth spell with us. Went to Blackburn, played for QPR, Doncaster, Market Drayton, CD Fatima, Carlisle United, FC Arles or FC Arles or FC Arles. You pick your pronunciation. AC. AC. Okay, I can't count. I can't read. I'm falling apart. You pick your Arles and I'll just get the AC bit right. Washington <laughs> FC and he joined Durham City last October. This is obviously, obviously a man who loves the game because he's played at the very mm. highest level yeah. and now he's just playing for the fun of it what a brilliant thing um you know we laugh about it keep your phone charged up pascal harry Redknapp. harry Redknapp might get another job soon but in fairness you take a quick look at it he still looks pretty fit doesn't he i mean he mm. really does and uh you know the old cliche of playing with a smile on your face and with a bit of joy i mean he always did that and it's quite obvious that he's still doing it so maybe of all the stories that we spent more time on it's maybe pascal's that he's the happiest because it's not just a profession for him it's a joy right mm. yeah yeah i think you know, there's the old thing, isn't there, about you know playing for as long as you can because you're a long time retired. You know, if you can still play at 42, you know, whatever level, and you're enjoying it, then that's great. It's it's really good, and um, uh, yeah, particularly when you know in a time when players are criticised for you know the money they're earning or you know anything else. You know, to be to be playing, presumably he doesn't need to play. Presumably he's not picking up a huge amount of money wherever he's well, playing. I'm just now. I'm just seeing actually it, that. Uh, Durham City, he is on 120 grand a week. Mercenary. <laughs> that was a shit joke. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's not game pay. I mean, he can't yeah. be game much. But uh, anyway. Yeah, well, there we are. It's fantastic. Yeah, we, we, we wrap it up by uh, saying that if you have an ex-player still applying their trade with a plum, that's the same as saying with really good skills that we did not know. Let us know via Twitter. And of all the ones we discussed tonight, why not tweet us who is your favourite? So, you know, get in touch with us on Twitter and, and, and let us know. So thanks a lot, lads. That was, a, that was a good one. It was nice and entertaining and cheerful and fun and all the things we want. So thank you. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers Steph. We'll be back next week with more sensational season two Spurs pottery. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow, say hello, and then show your friends so as they can give us a follow and say hello. Also, detectives among you will have realized that there's a whole season one to explore. So go for a spin and check out some of them for further totty tinted entertainment. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week.